be an actress to do this. I don't have to be a comedian to do this. I don't have to be whatever you want to call me to do this. However, I've taken things and snippets from all of those aspects of my life in order to do this. Hello, hello, all my beautiful leading ladies. I'm Antoinette Westcott here with my co-host, Renee L. Page. Hello, hello, hello. And joining us on this episode, we have our associate producer, Joe Ruiz. Hi, everyone. <laughs> this week, we have Deborah Wilson joining us. Deborah Wilson is an American actress, comedian, and television presenter. She is known for being the longest serving original cast member on the sketch comedy series, Mad TV. She has also done voiceover for various productions, including Avatar, American Dad, The Proud Family, and The Boon Knox, to name just a few. Her voice acting has also been used for a wide array of video games, like Suicide Squad, a deeply insightful human, and a powerful advocate for spiritual awakening and transcendence. We are extremely delighted to go deep into the mind of Deborah Wilson. Welcome, Deborah. Deborah, you do come from uh, humble beginnings, and I can relate. I know that I think for 16 years you did Parks and Recs. If I'm for quite 14 a long years, time. right? For 14 years, and I volunteered. Well, I didn't get paid. I volunteered for Park and, Parks and Rec because I did cheerleading. So that's what. What are the things that you and I have in common with the Parks and Recs? When I worked for Parks and Recreation as a recreation specialist, right. that's what I wanted to do. Mm, okay. I was not, for me at that time, it wasn't like, oh, I want to do this, but I'm doing this. That wasn't the case. I only wanted to do parks and recreation. I had gotten my clearance for the Department of Juvenile Justice because each time I kept having these new ideas and, and places I could move through the city, I wanted to work with at-risk youth. Mm. And I got that idea when I was in Syracuse University. Okay. Because I was traveling through and Syracuse is a very small town. Okay. And as I was taking the bus through Syracuse and, and then walking through Syracuse as a city, I came upon this house with all these teens and we started talking and I found out that it was a group home. Okay. And I was fascinated about their lives and how grown up they had to be based on living in a group home. Those realities of teens who had been at risk. Okay their parents, I wondered what happened with their parents, their lives, how they lived on the street, what they did to survive. And so I became very, very interested in that. I left school because I wasn't, I don't, I didn't, wasn't stimulated. I wasn't getting educated and I want to spend my father's money. I didn't want to spend my parents' money like that. Okay. So I left and came back from upstate New York, back to New York city and started working. Now, even though I was working, I wasn't working for City of New York at the time. Okay. I started working for City of New York at 14 because I was like an assistant counsel. I was a junior this. Mm. But what ended up happening is my father had worked two city jobs for 28 years, two full-time city jobs for 28. <laughs> he was a New York City school teacher like my mom, and he works for Parks and Recreation as a recreational director. My father, after getting me in for the summers, got me in so that I could, you know, file paperwork and get a job and see and interview and all that kind of stuff. And he had not a pull, but he had influence because my father had been working there for before right. he retired for 28 years. Right. So they were like, okay, well, she did work during the summer. We know her, we know you. Let's file her paperwork and see what comes up work-wise for the city. Right. Um, the opening was for preschool teacher. So I ended up teaching mm. preschool for about six years. Mm. And on top of that, when, those were, when that was done during the day, in the afternoons and evenings, I said, I want to do homework help. I want to do recreational programs, after school programs. Oh, there are seniors at this facility. Can I teach aerobics? So I ran the gamut of, of what I could do and what I wanted to do. Okay. And after I continued to do that, I said, all right, this is, you know, it's steady, it's stable, you know, for the time being. And on top of that, I got all my benefits. 
Because by the time I was 14, the idea that popped into my head that was mind-blowing for me, my aha moment was, I can make money and it's self-satisfying and independent by 14. So by 14, I never asked my parents for money again. Other than going to college, I started paying bills because it felt like I was contributing. It felt oh, mm -hmm. good. I can't explain it. It felt as if I was a part of something. On the cusp of adulthood, it felt like I was a part of something, that I'm helping my family. I can do this. So my money wasn't just buying you know, stuff. I mean, I, yes, I bought stuff as a kid. Yeah. But I did after I did that because I wanted the respect and responsibility. That was what I needed for me. That's what I really craved okay. based on my low self-esteem. And I had low self-esteem. So what I really wanted and needed to fill that low self-esteem was respect and responsibility. So by 14, I started paying bills and, and doing things with my money. So when I got to college, I felt unstimulated. I wasn't really working. And then... My, my roommate, Donna Fuda, got me a job at, in the cafeteria. And then I was like, well, what else can I do? And they had a giant uh, a dome, a carrier dome, a um, big sports arena. Syracuse is a small town. It's all college. It's all Syracuse University. Mm. So I started working there doing, you know, and then I started working there slinging beer and popcorn. And then I was like, what else can I do? So I started cutting people's hair. People were like, oh man, my mom is coming up and my hair is, dude, my hair is long. And I was like, I'll, I'll I can do hair. <laughs> Ask me if I knew how to cut hair. Did you know how to cut no, hair no. at that time? No, <laughs> I still don't. However, I was wise enough to know and, and follow people's hairlines people's look I was wise enough to wet it oh. down so that I can see what the shape would be I was wise enough to do layering because wow. I knew her hair was all in layers because of cornrows and, and and weaves so I knew all of that and so I just put two and two together and people were like yeah yeah you can learn anything you can if you wanted to absolutely yeah. and so I started doing that when I left school came back Worked in various jobs, um, fast food jobs, got in parks and recreation. But did you not like the hair? You didn't want to do a stylist? No, or? no because I mean, that takes a schooling again. Mm -hmm. And if people are liking what I do, that's great. But I wasn't trying to make that a career. It was okay. someone, it had not, had someone not said, had some dude not said, oh, mom, man, my mom's coming up and they, you know, they're going to kill me because my hair is so long. I, I was like, I can do it. Had he not said anything, I wouldn't have <laughs> volunteered or automatically gone, hey, everyone, let's just let you know, I cut hair. So that was never an intention of mine. I, I in say fact, that all the I, time. I, studied, I can do that. Yeah. Uh, I did a workshop in shiatsu. And my first person I ever did a shiatsu massage for was Bill Wyman of the Rolling Stones. Wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Gee. So I just, oh, but you know what? At that point, it was just in the right time, at the, you know, in the right place at the right time. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, I continued to work and I said, now I've been doing all these programs. I've worked with, with kids. I've worked with the differently abled at the playground for children. So I, uh, you know, I, I, I work, yeah, I, I worked all over. I wanted to be in these positions. So every time there was someplace that where seasonally I could go, I was always learning, but I was connecting with my clients and connecting with these children and connecting with this adult. So I knew that that was there and that mm. fed my soul. That fed me like nothing else. And I never wanted to do anything else after that. Wow. However, because I had gone to the high school of performing arts in New York, um, I always had that energy in me. My sister was like, you have that in you. You've always had that in you. And I'm not going to let you not harness that. She forced me into an audition for, for uh, performing arts, for uh, high school performing arts, because you can't get into school unless you audition. Right. Everything mm -hmm. is audition. And I was like, I, I was like, I didn't want to be a starving actor. Like I, it was fun because there were no consequences. There was no end consequence or repercussion to being silly and fun and doing characters and stuff, mm -hmm. but I would always own what I, what I overstood was my craft just in play. It's like, can I do this? Yeah. Okay. I did that. Next. 
I can do this. Yep, I can do that. Accents. I started studying accents by the time I was five. I was like, yep, I can do that. Yep. Okay, let me, <laughs> let me. you had the Beatles. You had, you know, Davy Jones, the monkeys. You had yes. H.R. Puffin stuff. Um, oh lead was British. And you had, you know, and so for me, it was studying things, honing in on it, and then going like, okay, I can do that. What's next? But I never, ever in my mind went, actress, stage, study, theater. So even when performing arts came up and I ended up getting in, yeah, I never was interested in pursuing it beyond that. Everyone else who went was very serious about their craft. And I was not. I was like, this was fun. I got out of real high school. This is this was just fun to me. Fun. This was just like, wow, I had it's a playtime. Playtime. <laughs> it was a playtime. And now I'm going to college. If I'm going to go to college, so when I went to Syracuse, I went to Cy Newhouse School of Communications. I said, I would rather be behind the camera because camera people, that's a skill. Technical mm -hmm. direction, that's a skill. Yeah. And so yeah. I realize I'm spending money in a system where I'm not learning anything. I'm not stimulated to learn because it was like, yeah, but I'm cutting hair and I'm making money. Yeah, but I'm working the, the uh, I'm working in the cafeteria and I'm making money. So when I made that money, I told my parents, listen, you'll never have to pay for books again. Books and supplies, I got. Books, supplies, and food, I got. I can't handle my tuition, but books, supplies, and food, I got. They were like, okay. And I realized I wasn't learning anything. At Syracuse, you weren't learning yeah. anything? I wasn't learning anything. What was yeah. your major? Communications. Learning is a two-way street. Mm -hmm. So they can do everything they want. But if I'm not learning, I don't feel like I'm learning or it's something I feel like I'm not going to be able to apply yeah. with, with whatever little life experience that I did have at the time, right. making money, paying bills, that kind of respect and responsibility. If that becomes the greater thing, then I don't want to study a math that I'll never use, a science that I'll never use. I'm not stimulated by it. I'm repeating information in order to pass your tests. For you in order to be able to say you're worthy of this piece of paper that says you graduated with this average and blah blah so you can take it to somebody who'll look at that and say oh you're smart enough to work at this company or this corporation this business this job mm -hmm. it just wasn't for me because That's everywhere totally i you. went so the things that i did it was like i'm on it so only the things that really worked for me was working with at-risk youth all of those things where I can make money. So that was my greatest skill. Socialization in terms of working with people and being able to have a flair and an artistic way of connecting, mm -hmm. communicating artistically with people. And that's why when I ended up working for the city, I could do pretty much anything. When I teaching preschool, had I ever taught preschool? No. But did I have a flair for it? Yes. Did I bring all of those acting things to it? Yes. From everything that I did that I said, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. All right. Use it here. Apply it here. All right. Cutting hair. Apply it here. So once I started doing all of that, I wanted to get my clearance for the Department of Juvenile Justice and work in group homes with the city. I'm in Manhattan. There's a show at a place which unfortunately did not get landmark status called the Village Gate. Very, very well-known and popular. Jazz club, musicians, every major musician came through that place. And every major comedian came through that place. So they're handing out flyers. Yeah, it's gonna be a great comedy show. I was in my twenties, never seen live comedy. I went to go see it. And there was an improv group. Had never heard of what an improv group was. What's an improv group? <laughs> and when I saw what they were doing, I was like, oh, I get it. Oh, I get it. I get it. Now, mind you, <laughs> that's the artistic self that goes, I can click in very easily. So instead of just watching and being entertained, my mind went, I could do that. Okay. I could. Oh, yeah. Because again, it was always that application. So everything I ever saw that was artistic or creative from television or film, it's like, I can do that. I can do that. Yeah. Okay. Let me, let me work. Let me work. Let me work. So I build up my craft on my own, not for any other reason other than to go, I can do it. 
Wow. I can do this. And so they were performing. They needed a volunteer from the audience and nobody would get up because everybody was with their groups and their friends and nobody wanted to embarrass themselves in front of their <laughs> friends. I was yes. by myself. I was very much a loner, very much a loner, not antisocial, but very much a loner and still am to this day. Raised my hand, went up. I'll never forget it. The first one I did it with Michael Cook. It was an improv called um, Foreign Movie. And what okay, they did was one? two of the uh, troupe sat down in the audience and they would say words in English and you would move your mouth in gibberish because you're dubbing a movie. So they're the dubbers <laughs> and we're, the, we're doing the foreign movie and they can say anything. And whatever they say, you have to follow along as if you're in this movie. I would die. <laughs> and it was an action spy movie that took place on the top of the Eiffel Tower. And at the end of the movie, we die, we fall off. Okay. And so that's what you get. So this way, you know, it's over. So in other words, the audience will also give you a beginning, middle and end. <laughs> and so for me, it was fun because everything that I'd done on my own, it was in my little box and it was fully immersed. So for here, I went back into that little box. I wasn't interested in the audience. I wasn't interested in getting a job. I wasn't interested in, in doing anything, but, oh, this is what this game is. So for me, it wasn't like, I'm raising my hand because I want to be famous and I want people to watch me. It was like, okay, I can do that. And so my intention was to, har to harness in that moment what I know I can do and bring all those other things to the table, which I knew I could do, and then go, okay, mm -hmm. it's done. That's it. It's done. I have a question, Deborah. So uh -huh. you said that you had low self-esteem. It does not sound like it because it sounded like yeah. you were the one that took charge. So... You said low self-esteem. Did what got had, to be done. Yeah, you did what had to be done. So it doesn't sound like you you was just a go-getter. But you're just, you're you're looking at only one phase of things. Okay. Because I'm 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 only telling you one phase of things in terms of what I could do and what I had a focus on. Okay. But not who I was and not who I am in that. Mm -hmm. So you it's one thing to go, okay, I can do this. I can function, I can have this fun, and I can do that. But there's always an underlying, we all are complex beings oh, and they're all layers mm -hmm. to us. And mm -hmm. that doesn't stop us from functioning creatively and emotionally unless it's so crippling because it has never been resolved or dealt with. Okay. So eventually I had to resolve and deal with that. And that wasn't until 2012. Okay. So do you think that things challenge you or have you not found anything challenging enough everything is a challenge for some people it is a monumental challenge for other people it is a smaller challenge for some people it is not a fun challenge for other people it is a joyful challenge it depends on what it is mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily a, a, um, a, a one that is always about a career or a craft sometimes it's just about your own personal and, and, and emotional and psychological challenges mm -hmm. okay. and sometimes it is based on the stimulation of something coming to you and you going, all right. And that's on a, that's on a human basis. That's all the time. It, it, it never ends. It's just yeah. a matter of allowing it to build the make and measure of who you are. Cause that's yeah. what it's really for. Because at the end of the day, when that thing is over, that challenge is over, you've built another block in your overstanding and your fortitude. You built another block in what you can achieve and what you can accomplish. It's there to build your character and to make a measure of who you are as a human being. Because at the end of the day, when all of that is built up, when you allow it to be built up, you allow it to strengthen you. And when you allow it to strengthen you, you can then give it out to others. And it's interesting how when people are selfless, when people are compassionate, they have no fear of sharing their pain in order to watch someone find their healing. Yeah. And so all yeah. of those things are designed to build you up. But the self-esteem, the low self-esteem part was there as a foundation so that okay. when people are going through things, you are the one who's able to see between those cracks when other people ignore it. Okay. Yeah. Deborah, do you think that um, you took on so many things, so many uh, new adventures, new new opportunities, new jobs, new, um, you know, as much as, as, as many things as that came your way? because of that, because of your self-esteem, because you wanted to just kind of um, 
escape exactly or there was no escape because it was a reality so no because these things weren't things i was looking for it's not like i went oh i really need to look for these things yeah were you looking to find yourself but subconsciously maybe or or no because those things came to me so that work stuff Mm -hmm. was about money it was about wow i can work and i can have fun and i can do these things and i love these things and i love being able to be a part of those things that was love and joy yeah, mm-hmm. that was love and joy. So I, it was never the psychology of I feel so bad that I need to do these things to escape. Mm-hmm. It was never that. However, there was escapism in it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's not like I was driven, but there was escapism in it for sure. Absolutely. And there was escapism in some of the things that I realized that psychologically I was interested, in, like why I was interested in this stuff, why I was interested in certain things. They came. And I accepted them and I moved through them. Like I said, it's always like being in the right place at the right time, but that's how God works. You're always in the right place at the right time when God is building you and crafting you. Yeah. And so for me, there are certain things that I was drawn to. And I, go, I look back psychologically and go, now I know why I was drawn to that. Okay. Now I know why I was drawn to these type of people or these type of characters because I saw the dark side of myself in them and I wanted to see them heal like I wanted to heal. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. But when it came to the stuff when I was younger, it was, I can do that because it was just funny. It was just, it was just that's everyone has their X factor. God has always placed in you that spark of light. And my spark of light was when I see that, it stimulates me and I go, okay, I want to try that. Okay. Even it's like a puzzler game to me. Oh yeah. Okay. So getting on stage for me wasn't, I'm trying to escape anything. And this is going to be my escapism. This was a matter of, okay, I love doing these things. Okay, it's like a puzzle again. Okay, you have to do this and this. Okay, because I had no fear. I was brazen. I was brazen because I wasn't interested in being an actor. I wasn't interested in being on stage. Even though I had gone to the high school performing arts, I never really wanted to pursue it because I didn't take it seriously. And so for me, getting on stage was, I can do that thing. It's another thing I check off my list without asking anything in return. And to this day, there are certain things that I do that are, that are very much like that. Where it's like, I just want to be able to know that I can do that. I want to, I want to, I want to use this space and hold this energy here. All right. And then I go, oh, now I can give it. Now, now there is a wealth of that thing. And I can, I can put it out into the universe. Well, I can Deborah, put it out If into you the could universe. switch careers tomorrow and do anything you wanted, what would that be? Yeah. I don't have a career, first of all. They're just these creative moments. In 2012, I gave up on the idea of what a career is. It's not a career because those are limitations. You have to barter with the world to be that thing, to have that thing. Negotiate with the world to have that thing. And I don't want to negotiate with the world. I just want to do what I do. And now I don't negotiate with the world. I just continue to allow that stimulation to come in. I want to hold a spiritual and sacred space to allow my physical and spiritual being to be able to express in that space. And because of that, because I'm, I'm using the flow of the universe and not the flow of the work world and the flow of the idea of a career. And that thing is not in my head as a career. I'm free. And because of that freedom, God continues to allow things to continue to come in because I realize it's more than the work that comes in. It's the sacred space that I hold with other human beings in it. Because at the end of the day, you may not remember the work. I may not remember the work, but people will always remember how you made them feel. And so um, if God said, Deborah, I want you out of this business. And I will say, Father God, I love you. And I trust everything that you are and where you're taking me because you're allowing me to put greater good into the world based on your will. You take me where you want. And if God said, all right, I'm going to take you to an animal sanctuary in India, in Africa, you're going to work with lepers. You're going to work with children in Bosnia. You're going to work in an L.A. shelter. That's fine. Because wherever it is, I know God has a plan for me to be of service. And I know that everything that I do, my thought, my idea, my concept, my trust, my truth, my belief, my myopic view is I'm here to serve your will. I'm here to serve this purpose. I'm here to raise the conscious vibration. I don't want to do anything and call it a career based on what I love to do unless what I love to do serves a higher good and serves my God. Mm-hmm. So all of this, which I let go because I was running out of money. My career went away. My marriage was failing all at the same time. I couldn't pay my mortgage all at the same time. I let it all go. Cause I was like, I don't know what to do. Cause it's all going to shit. 
and Just God says, great. Now that you recognize that it's grown going, it's I'm anointing you and have always anointed you to be the minerals to turn it into fertilizer. And I went, okay. Do? And so I let it all go. And God says, thank you for trusting me and giving it to me. Because when you give it to me, I know you're willing to release and surrender the three-dimensional world and what it means in its limitation. Career, money, home, homemaker, wife, mother, actress. When you surrender all of that and let it all go, I will show you a definition greater than the limited ones that you always believe based on the society that you lived in. And when I did, God says, here is your relationship with your ex-husband, a friendship and a bond that you never had when you were married. Now you too know why your soul made it because I anointed it and you will be best friends to the day you both perish from this earth. Here are your finances back because now you're willing to completely let them go out the door. You'll give money to this and this and this and this and this, and you'll put your money away and you'll pay your rent and you'll buy your things, but not without giving your money out the door to family, to friends, to people in need. You'll be able to help people on the street. You will not turn people away. You will make sure that that gets done at all costs and any cost, because you know my love is with you and you know who you are and you know that it's not about a career. You don't have to look at a limitation going, wait, if this is a limitation, then maybe I better be clear about what I put out there. Maybe I need to siphon. But God's love is never siphoned, it's complete and this whole, just like you are. And so I have given away in a year's time, 30,000, 40,000, $50,000 given, because I don't believe in lending. I don't want to put people in a loan shark position where I'm making you have to pay me back because if you came to me in the first place, that means you needed it. That means you won't be able to pay me back because I probably am not the first person or the last person that you're going to need money from. So I don't want to put that burden on you. And at the same time, I don't want to come at you based on money. Just like Christ Jesus turned over the tables of the money changers, I want to do the same thing. I am not going to ask you for that money back. I can afford to give you certain something then I will come to your rescue. And it always comes with a truth with it. It's never just here. It's like, look, this money didn't belong to me. This money was given to me by God to have this experience with you right now. I'm gonna say it again. This money was given to me by God to have this experience with you, to let you know, to stay hopeful and to stay faithful and to find that relationship however you choose to find that relationship the way I chose to find that relationship. And God continues to anoint my coffers to this day. I'm working six to seven projects at a time. I've got at least four Netflix shows. I've got one on HBO. I'm the new Daisy Duck on Disney. I mean, <laughs> I'm doing video game after video game. God is good. God is good. Why? Because I let it all go. And I went back to that place that was the truest and highest self where my fear was, because God was always present in that light, which is, can I do it? Yes, then let it go. But after a while, I kept holding on to things, holding on to things, and I allowed that darkness from my past to continue to seep up the more I accumulated. And now I have a career, I'm on Mad TV, and now I've got a husband. God, I don't need you as much. You've given me this stuff, let me run with it. And let me not have you on the in, in directly in here let me sideline you because now i know what to do with this money the way i did when i was younger i'm gonna buy this and do 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 this but i had to barter with the three-dimensional world to keep a job to have a career to auditions publicist manager all of these things i have a husband now and now on social media i'm a change my name because i'm married now everything. It was always these changes. It was always these new identifications and struggling to keep up with the old ones. Because if you're on mad TV and you're doing all of that and you're in the public eye, you're an actress comedian. And if you don't have that, who are you? So when all of those things went away, the only thing that equated to me was failure. And I went back to where I was before. And God says, when I take you back there, it's not simply because you're a failure and your low self-esteem. It's because that's also the same amount of time that you use to go, I can do this and then release it. So you never released it. And now you're in this position and I allow this to happen because I love you and you're always forgiven. And there is no trespass against me. 
only a trespass you put against yourself. And now when you feel like there is nowhere to go and no escape, you're losing your home, you're losing your marriage, you're losing your career, you're losing your finances. Now you have to let it all go. And I went, it. you show me where I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to be doing because I can't direct my own life anymore. And I realized the reason you can't direct your own life, Deborah, is because it's not yours. There's a higher power involved in conspiring in your favor while you, as a human being in the three dimensions, work against your own favor. Yeah. And that's when I said, you show me. Yeah. And when God did, in a nanosecond, I was shown my relationship with every man and how I felt about myself. And I realized it's all based on your low self-esteem. Now, what happened before that that allowed this relationship with men and how you felt about yourself. Childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. And I tied it all together from childhood trauma to how I felt about myself with men, yeah. that I was mm -hmm. unworthy. And so any man that wants me, whether it be just for sex or anything else, it made me go, that's why I am worthy. You have to show me what that worthiness is. And when you disappear, that worthiness disappears. You come in and fill up that worthy space within me because I don't own it. I take no ownership of that worthy space because I'm not worthy. But when you leave, then I'm not worthy. It's mm -hmm. a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so I was constantly drawing in the energy of men to use me because I said, I am unworthy to be loved. So I'm only going to be used. I drew in that energy. Always yeah. constantly drawing that energy in from a childhood trauma, unworthiness, unworthiness, unworthiness. And when I looked back at the roots of that and I explored that and I reconciled that, I mourned it, I cried for it, I wailed for it. And everyone who was a part of that, I cried for them and I completely mourned it because I was aware of it. And I've never not been aware ever again because God says, finally, you become an empty vessel. You're emptying out your pain and your sorrow and your sadness and your suffering from this. And now you've put in that spark of light and your illumination. So all the other things that were a spark of light when you were younger, I can do that. And then letting it go. You can now do that here. You can have an experience and then let it go. Have an experience and then let it go. Instead of being tied to the idea of it being a career, actress, comedian, singer, or whatever. I stopped tying myself to that. And with that freedom, stuff began to flow. So I can go in and create and go like, okay, now I'm done. Okay, now I'm done. And I've gotten to the point now where God is continuing to show me that abundance because I'm so easily letting it flow, letting my the experiences flow without holding on, without grasping, without judging it to people now coming to me and just giving me jobs. Did you have to forgive some people in, back in your past to really let go? Because I know they say sometimes when you go through traumatic experience and if people put you through it, you have to not hold grudges, because like I hold grudges, but was it that you just had to forgive them and say, you know what? It had nothing to do with them. Yeah, so we use that as a reasoning, but it has nothing to do with them. It has to do with the, inter the, the, the experience we draw in and we intellectually and emotionally and psychologically make choices in. It always has to do with us. The alpha and the omega in the three-dimensional world and how we are having experiences is us. We draw in stuff for our learning. They're meant to be in there for our learning because we are afraid to put up a mirror image and see ourselves in them. And that's why we hold grudges. That's why we don't forgive. That's why we point a finger. That's why we stay a victim. There are no victims, only volunteers. And so when we learn that, we begin to strengthen ourselves instead of weaken ourselves. And we begin to take responsibility where we put the responsibility on others. And when we do that, we recognize that everything is about that strength. Everything is about building our character. Everything was a stimulation for our growth. We may not like it and it may hurt and it may be traumatic, but we go from here to here when we do. So there Have was no one ayahuasca, Deborah? No, I'd probably vomit and get sick, and that would be the end of it. I'd be like, oh, what a f now, have I thought about it? Absolutely. Ayahuasca and peyote. But the spiritual journeys that I take happen very easily. 
Because I can, I can self-hypnotize meditation. myself and I discover that I can do that, number one. Um, number two, I've been hypnotized before. And number three, I've had people do, you know, meditations because I, I, I'm easily suggestible because, I, again, I'm, I'm, a flu, I'm fluidity. So I remember experiencing myself before I was human on the planet. And I remember experiencing my death. It was really beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. In fact, the person who, who, who took me through that. <laughs> wait a minute, what? Wait a minute, what? Wait a minute. All right, Deborah, I was following, but okay. You said it again. Do you remember? I gotta hear this. Experiencing my death. Really? Yeah. Wow. My physical death. It was a woman who was dating my ex husband, and we became friends. And she did it. Right. She did this breath work <laughs> for healing and stuff. And I was like, wow, I would love to experience that. And she's okay. So I went and did a private session. She's like, come on out to my house. I went out to her house and I was like, okay, cool. Okay, lie down. Here's what I do. So she was, you know, a practitioner of this yoga breath work. So whatever it was called in terms of a meditation with breath. And so she told me how to breathe. And then she gave me the suggestion. And in that suggestion, all this stuff started happening in my head. And um, she kind of surrendered that because of that. And my heartbeat started really going low. My breath started going low. And I forgot if she made the suggestion of my death or slowing my heart rate down or whatever. I don't remember, but I know that in that moment, I was releasing myself to death, to a death. And when she brought me out of it, she said, I was a little nervous because I could not hear your heart and I could not hear your breath through your lips or your nostrils, but I could see rapid eye movement. So I knew that you were stimulated, that something was taking place. And then I told her when I finally came out of it that I experienced my death and it was very beautiful. In other words, if there was a peace and there was a reconciliation in the space that I was in and a surrender of everything without a care and a willingness to release, and then a willingness to be caught. Wow. Um, and I've, that's the second time I've experienced something like that. At another point, when everything went black with someone else and their stimulation, they took me through past life. And um, oh my goodness. I was Native American, and I was following myself through a forest that began to open up, and I can see the sun through the leaves and the trees, and I followed myself, long, dark hair, as she walked, as we walked into a river. It was a river. It was a babbling brook and it was a river. But it continued getting deeper and deeper. And we were walking until we were at the bottom and walking and walking and walking. And the sun was waving on the top of the water until it got so dark that as we were walking, we began to just keep walking and floating and she disappeared and it was just me walking. And I realized that I was in space. Um, there was no sound. There were just stars. There was no sound whatsoever. I couldn't hear anything. It was completely like a vacuum. That's awesome. But I remember stopping and floating to see the stars and complete silence. And it was just absolutely beautiful. And I was alone. That was the interesting thing about it. I was completely in both of them. I was completely alone. And I think I was alone because it wasn't actual physical death, but it was an experience of, in, in my consciousness, of a peaceful death mm. and a peaceful reincarnation because the, 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 the one where I was following the, 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 the Native American woman who was myself was um, a, a, a rebirth. And I realized that we all come from something much greater and to mm. much greater, we will go back. Mm. And that's what I took out of both of them. I got to experience that. It was pretty amazing. Yeah. That's incredible. And if you open yourself to it, you have to be open to it. And that's why going oh, back yeah. to you, I don't need ayahuasca to have those experiences because I can experience that pretty regularly. And it's all through just breath work? Well, it's not just breath. I mean, because you can breathe and you can have a breath work, but if your mind isn't open, if you're not surrendering to something greater than you, if you're not willing to surrender your body, and surrender any idea of what the world is and surrender all of that stuff to something greater, then you'll always be thinking, did I leave the oven on? And what are you gonna have to do? And how long is this gonna take? And I wonder, you know, am I, I'm not feeling anything or, you know, am I doing this right? So mm -hmm. and, until you're willing to submit those things. 
Because we yes, always I'm ready. overstimulated. We're always, <laughs> we're always yes. very overstimulated. Because I, t- I can take people through. <laughs> I've done it before. I didn't, I didn't know I can do that. But it's one of those things again. Can I support people? Because I've actually hypnotized people without them um, knowing it. <laughs> no, you always know it because hypnotism oh, okay. is just a heightened state of relaxation. That's all it really is. But I've been able to do it because my energy was stimulated for something that they wanted. In other words, if someone is in need of something and my energy, the purity aspect of my energy wants to be of service to that space, then they will take that stimulation. I'll give you an example. I went to go visit a friend. He was a tattoo artist. He was, um, he was, uh, I was hanging out with him. One of the people that worked for him was tattooing. The guy who was on his table, his eyes were closed, but he kept doing this because it was hurt. And I just mm-hmm. went, I, I can't, I, I can't let him be in this pain. He doesn't have to be, it's not necessary. And I bent over the table. I never interrupted anybody. And I started whispering in his ears, a suggestion. I whispered it for 45 minutes and I watched his body just do this. And the tattoo artist looked at me and said, Done. and I brought him back out slowly. And he just looked at me and said, what did you do? Because his body just responded and his mind, his consciousness could not process that his body did something that his mind would let go of. His, his mind, went, okay, I'm opening the floodgates and I'm going to let the body do this. But he was like, wait a minute, I was in so much pain. How did I not want to let go of that pain? What did you do to help me get let go of that pain and this completely do this? To the point in which he didn't even know that he was finished. I had to, he, I had to bring him out of it, out of that state. So that the tattoo artist was like, you got to bring him out. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> and he, and he didn't know he was done. So when he, when he opened his eyes, he's like, I'm done. Wait a minute. I, I'm done. So do you moonlight at a tattoo parlor now? You can go to work with me. You can go to work with me, Deborah. Sometimes you can go to work with me at the hospital. <laughs> what I used to do is I'll tell you this. I used to do MP3 meditations, individual meditations for people and suggestions. I knew someone who was having issues with her sisters and I started giving her meditations that she can do with her eyes closed to continue to evolve her own energy in her relationship. I said, you can't expect their energy to change when yours won't. And again, my thing is what I'm left with when I get rid of all these constructs is what God has in store for me and how I can serve a higher good that higher principle, that higher purpose, that higher life source. And that's why all of these things I've ever done and all of these things I've ever learned have empowered me. I don't have to be an actress to do this. I don't have to be a comedian to do this. I don't have to be whatever you want to call me to do this. However, I've taken things and snippets from all of those aspects of my life in order to do this. Would you consider yourself spontaneous? No, but I would say I do spontaneous (laughs) things. So, Antoinette, ask her your rapid fire. Let's see how Deborah. <laughs> I'm curious. Okay, rapid fire questions. Yeah, let's see how you do, Deborah. Let's see how you do. <laughs> What's your favorite book? I don't have one because I there are many. There's way many, so I never have one. I don't have one. Okay, okay give me three. The Wonder Ring. Mm, writing that down. Okay. Um, maybe Watership Down. Okay. We're collecting book titles for okay. a book club. An animal farm. Mm. Yeah. All right. Okay. If I have to pick What's three, your yeah. number one advice for self-care? Forgiveness. If you could have coffee with one person, who would it be? Rabbi Yehoshua. Who is that? Rabbi Yehoshua. Christ Do you Jesus. Do you know who that is, Antoinette? No. Jesus' <laughs> Hebrew name. Rabbi Yehoshua, Yehoshua, Yeshua. Shame when you okay. mention it. What? I learned. No, it's all good. We're all here to learn. No judgment on me love. No yeah, judgment no, love, I sis. didn't know. No, ju- I'm, no judgment on me love, sis. No judgment no. on me love. No, no, I'm not talking <laughs> to you. I'm talking to Miss Renee. No judgment oh. on me love. Because you know why? We're not here to preach at each other. We're here to teach each other and love each I'm other. And you're each other because what you don't know, I get a chance to serve you with love. I'm just teasing her, Deborah. <laughs> we have fun on here, so just. <laughs> All right. What's one of the best investments you made under hundred dollars in 2021? I don't know because I don't talk about money. It's money is not important to me. 
But if I if I had to say that when it comes to money, giving it away. Amazing. Under 100 bucks, giving it away. Over 100 bucks, giving it away. 1,000 bucks, giving it away. Two grand, giving it away. Giving it to someone in need. That's the best investment I've ever made. I know where it, I'm if it comes to money, that's the, that's that's my best best investment. Because there's no point in having it, watching other people suffer simply because when I, I have it. I don't, I don't want to live going, yep, I got, but you don't. So sucks to be you. I can't do that. I can't do that. Yeah. We will keep that in mind, Deborah, when we need. Okay. <laughs> What's the first thing you do every morning? Wake up. <laughs> What's you your asked. favorite podcast? No. <laughs> we asked. <laughs> no, I want to ask my question. I want to ask my question. So you wake up. What keeps you from hitting that snooze button, Deborah? There is and no just snooze get... button. Oh, okay. Ooh. So you're at that point where you don't have an alarm clock? Are you no. at that point in your life where you don't have an alarm no. clock? No, no, because whatever time I'm meant to wake up, God always wakes me up at that exact time. At that exact time. If I tell myself I need to be up by 6.30, I'm up by 6.30 or 6 o'clock. If I tell myself I need to be up by 5 o'clock, I'm up by 4.30 or 5 o'clock. God always wakes me when I'm supposed to be waking because, again, this is a co-creationship. It's never me and it's never on my own. When I need to be up, God always gets me up. Always, always, always. And the reason I say that is you can be as healthy as anything else. You can be absolutely healthy and healthy to be clear and not wake up. And we always go, why, why, why? That person was so healthy. How is it that they didn't wake up? Why, why, why? How? Wait a minute. We were just talking yesterday and now they went to sleep and didn't wake up. Why? Because there's a plan for everything. Yeah, that's why we should never take anything for granted. Yep. Nope. Nope. I believe that wholeheartedly. Your favorite podcast, Deborah? I don't have a favorite podcast because I really don't listen to podcasts. I'm working all the time. I, I'm working all the time, but yet I participate in a lot of podcasts, and I actually um, uh, narrate podcasts. I'm doing the oh, I narrate awesome. a podcast now, a paranormal podcast. So. Makes sense. Yeah, that's cool. I, love, I haven't got one. to listen to those yet either. Yeah, but I want to get on those. We keep yeah, getting suggestions. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I'm going on a paranormal investigation of uh, Gettysburg or the battlefields of Gettysburg for my 60th birthday this year, taken by two professional paranormal investigators who used to have a series on Discovery Network. Oh, oh can you say oh. who? Yeah. Oh, Brad and Barry Kling on the Discovery <laughs> Network used to have in their brothers. Texas Brothers used to have a uh, a paranormal investigation show called Ghost Lab. Okay. It's no longer on the mm -hmm. air, but they're still very, very popular at live events. And they have a podcast called, and their their um their paranormal group is called Everyday Paranormal. People hire them personally. And so it's called Everyday Paranormal, the podcast, and I narrate that. Oh, awesome. Do you need um, some extra people to go with you on this yeah, birthday? Yeah, I'll go. I'll go. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going for my birthday, and that will be in April. And we're staying at a, uh, a haunted bed and breakfast as well, who was right off oh. the battlefield, uh, a place that has this, it was a historical landmark because it's original. And they used to bring either the dead bodies or the dying bodies of soldiers. I think mostly Confederate soldiers at the time. So and all the rooms are 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 left in their integral um, uh, space. In other words, uh, the tub is in the middle of the room. The toilet is is over here. It's one room. The beds are not modern. I don't know if they have Wi-Fi. So it's left as if it were uh, the 1800s. Right, three days. How many days? Three days. Five three days. days. Because we're following the battle historically from where it started. It did not start in Gettysburg. So we're following okay. the battle Sounds um, like and the battlefields. It's a, yeah, it's a lot of death and a lot of carnage. There's a lot of spiritual activity. Always has been. It's one of the most, the most haunted places in the world, let alone in the country. Gettysburg. Think you can handle that, Antoinette? Oh, hell yeah. I'm it. Well, let's handle There's a lot of, also, <laughs> there, uh, um, they've caught a lot of EVPs as well there to you know because they talk about history you know the history of stuff but it's still alive because those those entities are still roaming the battlefields to this day in full-blown apparition what? um yeah and they've been seen they've been caught all the time 
showing up, doing their duty, heading back out and then disappearing. Yeah. The trauma of the world is it's yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I'll take time off from work. Yeah. I'll yeah, take time off that from work. So amazing. Yes. <laughs> That's the last of the rapid fire. But I do want to ask you, Deborah, what advice would you give to our next generation of ladies that were grooming and something that you might have wanted to know and now know and can pass over? Pass There's along. nothing that I didn't want to know that I already don't know now. In other words, everything is a stepping stone to learning and growth. And if you think you know it, then when other experiences happen, sometimes that puzzle piece doesn't fit there. And it's because we think we know something. Wisdom is something that comes from falling and getting back up, falling and getting that back up, just like strength, just like lifting weights. So more than anything else, it's discovering your own authentic voice without feeling beholden to the three-dimensional world because when you hold yourself to the three-dimensional world, you're asking somebody else's permission and you don't need it. Yeah. yeah. I get that. <laughs> yeah. Deep. You're deep, Deborah. Deep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's how you find your most authentic voice. You have to go deep. Yeah. You can stay on the surface all you like, but then again, you're always bartering with the world to say, please accept this and give me the permission to be this thing when you already are that thing. See, because we come to the world to find out who we are, but we never want to know the deepness of what we are because the what we are came before any man, woman, and child ever told you who you are. And it takes a long time, in fact, a lifetime to accept that, not to learn it, but to accept that. And when you do, you open up a world much greater than what you thought you would ever have. Because we always like, if I'm an actress, I'm gonna be happy. Right, okay. But then in order to maintain that happiness, you have to barter with the world and they have to accept that so that you can maintain your happiness. But if it was all taken away, would you feel happy? So that means you were beholden to that thing. So it really wasn't about your happiness. Mm -hmm. It was about that thing. Because you can be happy in any given moment and not need it, not need all of that. You could serve someone and love someone. You can volunteer. You can be compassionate when compassionate is necessary. And that has no money value. And that's what leads people to do who they do. That's what led Mother Teresa, her compassion and her faith to work with lepers as long as she did. That's what leads people in PETA. That's what leads heroes and leaders I compassion that that's what leads children who are growing up in this world with everything around them and the accessibility of information to go i'm going to create an organization there are 11 year olds who have created national organizations for the homeless to feed people to collect blankets an 11 year old 12 year old yeah. yeah changing the world Greta Thunberg right. with global warming. People who say there's something greater out there in the world. These old souls, these ascended beings who are living their most authentic self before the world has given them a chance to tell them what they can and cannot do. I love the fact One that of the greatest lessons I've ever learned was from Joan Rosenberg, mm -hmm. AKA Joan Rivers. Mm -hmm. I used to do a show with Joan. I used to do a series with Joan Rivers and her favorite symbol and her symbol to this day, even though she's passed on, God rest her amazing and incredible soul and her contribution to women and comedians and business women, her symbol was a bumblebee. And I asked her why her symbol was a bumblebee. And her said, she said her symbol was the bee because proportionately based on science, the wingspan of a bee is much smaller proportionately than its body size and mass. So according to science, it's not supposed to fly because its wingspan isn't wide enough or full enough to accept the size of the body to fly. But she always said, but tell that to the bee, tell that to the bee. Because the bee never thought about it. The bee just flies. Mm -hmm. It never looked at science. It never had a limitation. 
It just does what it does. And to do what you do is living your most authentic self, not asking anything in return, not needing anything in return and letting whatever God has in store for you come to you as opposed to seeking something from it. And I think why I would consider myself and why other people would consider me successful with the experiences that I'm pulling in, in terms of voiceover and motion capture and that aspect of the entertainment industry is because again, I asked nothing in return. I got to that place where I grasped it and needed it desperately. And then when it was taken away, I was willing to surrender. And I got back to that self that said, I just want to accomplish and let it go, accomplish and let it go. And that's not a career. Those are just experiences. And I got back to that place. But I had to go back to that dark place and say, where is all this coming from? Forgive it and let it go. So it's never about forgiving people. It's always about forgiving experiences that we had, forgiving the experience. Because the choice was necessary to be the person you are today. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Mm -hmm. Next time, we'll talk about my scorpions and tarantulas and I know. Um, the possibility of getting, which I really want, a venomous snake. Um, uh, I want to, I've never had a venomous snake and um, I'm very interested in getting a hog nose. It's real oh. fang venom though, but, but we'll talk about that. I, I used uh, to raise snakes. I used to raise snakes. Well, but why that? Next time we'll talk why about- Why that snake? Yeah, why snake? Why that snake? The because green... it's venomous. And I like hog-nosed snakes. I fell in love with hog-nosed snakes just recently as I've been learning about them. They're rear-fanged venomous. Um, and uh, in the wild, they play dead. In other words, like a possum, if you come upon one and it can't get away, it will flip on its belly, open its mouth, the tongue will come out and it'll writhe like it looks like it's in pain. It'll keep writhing and writhing and writhing like it was just killed or about, you know, that it was stepped on or hurt. And then <laughs> yeah. it will slowly stop. And if you pick it up, it'll be flopped. It'll be alive, but it'll be flopped like it's dead. And so it fools its predators by looking like it's dead. So they go like, well, I don't want to do it because most predators want to kill something. And so if it's already dead, yeah. they don't want to touch it. And if you leave it alone, and if you walk away, and you can feel the vibration of you moving away, slowly, and I mean minuscule, minuscule, it will take minutes. It won't just turn up and go. It will take minutes and minutes and minutes to slowly, making sure it's okay. 10, 15 minutes later, 15 minutes later, 16 minutes later, 17 minutes later, finally it's up and it wriggles away. Interesting. I'm Damn. Is it symbolic? Because a lot of times certain things to people are symbolic. No, I just, I've, 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 I, you know, I always, when it came to abject terror, those are the things that I surrendered the fear and went, oh, 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 I don't have to be afraid. This is not my fear. Oh, this is okay. a societal fear. It's a fear from my, from my dad. Oh, it's a fear from, oh, the idea of the idea of it. And so I've always been fascinated by things that scared me. And I was always made to be afraid. For protection, okay. because the people say, like, if we make you afraid, then then you will feel protected because you won't get ever hurt. You'll never be near those things to ever get hurt. Okay. So well, I don't know what this says about me, but it makes me feel that <laughs> I might be a possum. Because, <laughs> like, you know, as women, we have to worry about being raped and kidnapped, just walking. Why do you have street. to worry about those things? And, and, and see, my thing is this: no, like, like it's always in the back of our head. Like it could happen. No, 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 no. You, it's a blanket statement, and that's not necessarily true because I've never had that fear. It was not one of those things because, again, it's not like well, because I'm a woman, this could happen. Well, that happens to a lot of children. That happens to men, women, and children around the world every day. You feel me? So it is not inclusive to just women and to walk around. Well, I talk to a lot of men and they don't go through that. They're like, oh, I've never thought right, about but that. That's I guess you, that's because choose. you're a woman. Right. But it's not just because you're a woman. It's the things you choose because I'm a woman and I don't choose those things. So that's not a fear for me because I go, all right, I know my environment. I know my atmosphere. Here's where I am. Here's what's happening. 
And at the same time, it's not a preoccupation or anything in the back of my head simply because I'm a woman. It's like saying, well, you know, because me, I don't want to walk around going, well, because I'm a black woman, I can get arrested any moment. So let me, you know, I'm a black woman, I could get, you know, I can get beat up any moment. I'm a black woman, so, you know, these things could happen to me. You know, I'm, I'm a black woman, you know, I go into the Starbucks, I'm a black woman, so, you know, what if they don't serve me? I'm a black woman, what if a white woman walks in at me? You know, we don't walk around like that because whatever you focus on increases. And again, when we go through the three-dimensional world of what we are, we become beholden to the three-dimensional world of what, of what those other possibilities are. So for as much as you hold on to that or even believe that as a concept, what about all the concept of, well, I'm a woman, I can, I'm, I can do pretty much anything. I'm a woman, I make these choices in my life. I'm a woman, I'm an empowered being. I'm a woman, I can create what I want. I'm a woman, I have the strength to support other women. I'm a woman, you know what I'm saying? Because whatever you focus on increases. Whatever the idea is, I can give you another idea. There can be a million of them, you feel me? Right. There can be a billion of them. So for you going, well, I'm a woman and I can be raped. They go, well, you're a woman and you don't have, and that may not be your possibility. So it's, every, it's having these regular experiences, one experience at a time, and making choices within them. Because when you put everything together, your consciousness is telling you things to hold on to, even in the back of your mind or in your pocket, that may not exist. They only exist here. So if it doesn't benefit you, why are you putting it there? Why are you even putting it in your back pocket? Why are you putting it in the back of your mind? I'm going to burn it today. One by well, one. Well, the thing is, Deborah, like the things that you see that you're faced with, like right now, you know, she brought up rape and everything, but look what we're, we hear every day with the trafficking against women and things. So right, but, the, but right, but see what you're doing? Now, what you're doing is you're using three-dimensional logic to hold on to your linear thinking of that. Yes, that exists, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have to choose holding on to that in your linear thinking. Because again, if you want to validate that and justify it, then it doesn't make sense. And how do you tell those again, girls what, not to again, get whatever traffic. you focus on increases? Whatever you, have you to focus be aware on of it, but you just have to be aware of that it's happening. And but that doesn't smart. mean you can't be active in that awareness. That doesn't mean you can't be active in your community. That doesn't mean you can't go online and say, "What can I do? Where right. can I speak about this? What forums are there? How can I participate?" in supporting and raising the conscious vibration. You feel me? Mm -hmm. So you can talk about it and say it exists, but unless you're doing something actively to participate in raising your own conscious awareness, how can you raise the conscious awareness of somebody else? Otherwise it just becomes a conversation about people getting raped, human trafficking. Because we always go, that's sad, man. That's, oh, wow, wow, wow. But there's always something you can do. And at the same time, if they're, if you want to be empowered, how do you raise your own conscious vibration out in the world for that empowerment of others? Because you never know who's stimulated and who traffic and who, how that tracks back to that. So we always feel like we have to do something direct. But that's because we always feel like we have to make those moves. And again, making those moves without believing in anything greater than yourself doesn't allow the cosmic force of God to work through you. Because when that happens, you never know who gets affected and how they affect somebody else. So maybe your kindness and your fortitude as a woman, as a black woman, as a white woman, as a human being affects somebody to the point in which they become empowered, to the point in which they become stimulated by that experience, to the point in which they get involved. And it came from you. Yeah. I used to volunteer with at-risk youth. So when I got my clearance to the Department of Juvenile Justice and California Youth Authority here in Los Angeles, when I got Mad TV, I never forgot about that. I said, I still want to volunteer. And when I did, I've met hundreds and hundreds of young people in group homes, in lockdown facilities like Camp Scudder and Camp Scott, Optimist Youth Homes. And I met one young man at Optimist Youth Homes and he and I are still friends to this day, and he's in his 30s. And he is an origami specialist. In other words, mm -hmm. the stuff that he makes with origami is worth selling. It's beautiful. I told him, I said, you need an Etsy shop for the things you make. It's most amazing. Oh, and he oh. said, well, you know, when I first met you, you, you took your time to show me how to make an origami balloon. And from that moment, even when we hadn't seen each other for years and then came back into each other's lives, 
He said, that stimulation has changed my life. It's given me creative path. I don't need to bother with anything that is negative. I love to create and make and give to friends. And so, I mean, I had no idea that me teaching him how to make one origami balloon that I knew how to make as a kid would have him go, this is my path. This is, this is gonna be an integral part of my creative path. My wow. healthy path, my loving path, my self-esteem path that I can create something I am worthy to create into this world. That's how God uses us. Yeah. And it wasn't my intention, but that was God's intention in his life that he gleaned onto. So how do you know that your awareness of your power, because again, if this is all about empowerment, that you empowering someone else doesn't lead to that. See, we limit our thinking because we can't see it. That's because we're looking with eyes that always fool us. But the eyes of compassion, that's the true reality. Because you never yeah. know when God will ask you to use yourself for this space. Yeah, well, but I'd love to be able to comes. use this podcast as that is, <laughs> you know, for so many people to find yeah. what is their thing. Yeah. Because we're, if we don't know, we if our, our resources are only as big as we can get them, you know, so if they're limited where we can pass it on, share it as simple as, or not so simple as the origami. Yeah. Yeah. The chain reaction. That's us giving, that's us giving, uh, Deborah, giving of ourselves to others and not expecting anything in return. It's just because that that is the resource. Antoinette, that is the resource. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. There it is. There there it is. And what a great note to end on. Wonderful. Okay. Well, thank you for being our leading lady this week. Absolutely. Thank you, my goddesses and my beautiful brother love. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Yes. I want to hear more from you, Joel, next time. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. Next time we'll have we'll have more of a conversation for sure. Yes, yeah. yes, indeed. All right, everyone. Have It'll a day, be the like men. Let's be well, be happy, be healthy, be you, because you are beautiful. Wonderful. Thanks to all of you for tuning in to this week's episode. For more of our content, you can follow us on our social media at heap underscore ent. That's H E E P underscore ENT. And if you have feedback, guest suggestions, collab pitches, or anything you want to tell us, reach out to our team at heapent at gmail.com. Until next time. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.